We're talking in this message series about idolatry. Really, we're calling the series Gods at War because the fact is that all of us, we have these temptations to put other things on the throne of our lives than, than God. An idol is just that, right? An idol is really something that we put in God's place. It's something, and maybe it's a good thing. Uh, we've talked in here about an idol of pleasure, that, you know, pleasure is not a bad thing. God created it. But if we put that pleasure, entertainment, these kind of things in a place where only God should be, then we've got a problem. Or last week, we talked about our love for others, a very good and godly thing. But if we elevate people above where God should be, then even that can be a problem. This week, we're going to talk about one that maybe was a little more predictable than last week that we cover, but we're going to talk about the God of money. We can certainly take money and put it on the throne of our lives. Much like pleasure or much like uh, love for others, money's not an evil thing. Uh, it's, in fact, a very necessary thing. But if we elevate it to a certain level, it, be- it can become problematic. One of the challenges with money for, for all of us is sometimes that we just lack some discipline with it. It's easy to, uh, you know, to get a little bit too, too much in our spending from time to time. That's something we wrestle with. Uh, it says in the book of Proverbs uh, that a person who lacks discipline is like a city with broken down walls. Uh, that If we lack self-control, that's kind of what we're like, or in our terms today. We'd say that a person without self-control is like a house with no locks, right? It's a dangerous kind of place to be in. And when it comes to financial discipline, this is legit. Because I think for all of us, we still have a little bit of that, that kid that would, you know, throw the tantrum in Walmart, right? You know, you've seen it, right? It's not fair what the stores do. They put all the cool stuff down at the low level where the kids are, right? And they get the thing, right, the candy bar, whatever. They're like, I want it. Like, no, you can't have that. But I want it. Like, just can't have it, right? Then they start throwing the fit, and they're just on the floor and all that. And you're like, fine, just have the stupid candy bar. Just shut up so you stop embarrassing me, right? We have some of that inside of us, except it's maybe not candy bars anymore. Uh, Maybe it's a car, or maybe it's a house, or maybe it's whatever it is for you that, that we tend to like our stuff. We do. We're, and the th- trouble is that we're in a society that teaches us that your net worth and your self-worth go hand in hand. In fact, maybe that your net worth even defines your self-worth. And so we look at our stuff and we look at our bank accounts and our retirement savings and all this, and we really say, that's who I am. And we find ourselves very deeply in this. And so it's easy for money to subtly get into this place where only God should be. And, and I want to state real clearly, this is a risk at every income level. I'll talk about that more later. But please, this is, don't, don't think, oh, this is just a sermon for those rich people. Who are the rich people? The ones who have more than me. I don't need to worry. I'm good. No, this is true for all of us. Every single one of us uh, can struggle with this. Uh, we can struggle with that, with having that self-discipline sometimes, that self-control. In fact, if I may go out on a bit of a risky limb here, I'm going to stereotype a bit, and that's always dangerous, right? But let's talk about spending a little. I think it can vary sometimes, uh, males and females, right? So, ladies, let's talk about about spending for a minute, right? Uh, guys, I may need an amen from time to time here, okay? If you 
if you like to live on the edge, right? You know, ladies, we, we tend to, spending doesn't necessarily get out of hand as, as big, maybe as guys, but maybe it's more frequent, right? Like, I bought some new earrings. Oh, why did you buy new earrings? Oh, to go with my new belt. Oh, okay, you bought a new belt as well. Why is that? Well, it matches my new purse perfectly. Oh, a new purse as well. well why did we buy a new purse? To match the new shoes that I got for 20% off. Imagine the savings, 20% right there, right? <laughs> got to get some control, right? Now, guys, we may not do it as frequently, but we tend to do it bigger, right? It's Super Bowl week. Some of you this week had a TV delivered to your house. It's actually larger than your living room. Like, <laughs> but, you know, the kids can sleep somewhere else, right? We'll just... We'll knock out a wall, expand it, we're good. It's going to be no problem at all, right? Um, I, I love my parents, I love my dad, but my dad is like uh, probably the cheapest person that I know, right? Like he, when we were growing up, my dad would keep a, like a file book of coupons in his car, right, or his vehicle. And so after church on Sunday, we might stop somewhere for lunch, like Burger King or something, because we're high rollers, you know, and... <laughs> And we'd go in there, and he would take his coupon for a buy one, get one sandwich, right? And it was like a six-month-old expired coupon. And if they refused to take it, no joke, we would leave, (laughs) which is very embarrassing, even as like a six-year-old, right? But, you know, so anyway, that was my dad. Well, he, uh, one day, when I was growing up, um, he he was leaving the house on a Saturday morning, and he told my mom that he was going to an auction. And so he went to the auction and came back, and she said, what did you buy? And he kind of mumbled, which you know, if you know men, you know what that means. It probably something we shouldn't have bought, right? And she said, well, what did you buy? And he goes, a lake. A lake, a body of water, lake, right? He, he and some friends went in, and they bought a lake that Saturday morning. And don't get me wrong, we were not like, buy a lake on Saturday morning kind of family, right? <laughs> but you know, so guys, we tend to, if we mess it up, we mess it up in big, big chunks. But however it is for you, we can all struggle with this. I mean, I'm joking around, but the fact is we all struggle with this from time to time. It is, we live in a society where that desire to acquire is so big, that keep up with the Joneses, it's just like hardwired into us, it seems, Jesus was teaching one time, and it was an interesting day because he's teaching, and he, and he just gets randomly interrupted by some random guy with a not-so-random problem, and, and the, the story is told to us here in the Scripture, and uh, here's what it says. And somebody called out from the crowd, "'Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me.' Jesus replied, "'Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that?' Now, this is interesting, right? It's almost kind of comical. Imagine if you, let's say your sibling brought you to church today, right? And you're just sitting there, and in the middle of the sermon, they stand up and go, "Uh, "'Excuse me, uh, Pastor John, I just got a question. Could you tell my sibling to be more fair in dividing up mom and dad's estate? They're totally ripping me off here. Could you do something?' (laughs) Well, if you do that, I'll probably chuckle because I can see the ushers coming behind you with tasers that you can't see. <laughs> it's a risk you're going to take, right? But, but seriously, why would they do this? Well, 
in, in those days, of course, in, uh, in Israel, the Old Testament law, this is their law of the land, and so uh, religious teachers were ones who would interpret the law for folks. So it's not totally far-fetched, but Jesus isn't having it. He's, this is not his priority this day. He's probably talking about the kingdom of God and things like this, and this guy wants to fight over who's getting grandpa's gun collection or grandma's china or Maybe it was grandma's guns and grandpa's china. Well, however your family does those things. And Jesus is not too impressed by this, so he decides to tell a story. And in this story, I love it because he gives us the bottom line up front. He makes it really easy for those of us who get confused in his stories sometimes, right? Here's what Jesus said. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. Isn't that true? Life is not measured by how much you own. If we could get that through our heads, if we could get that through our habits, it would be so transformative for us. And then he tells the story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you're working for? The parable kind of irritates me, if I'm honest. It's easy to misunderstand. For one, remember, it's a story. It didn't actually happen. But notice that in the story, God doesn't strike the man dead. He, he, God knows what's going to happen. It's foreseen, right? But he's not struck dead for this. But you know, it seems on first look, like maybe God's condemning the guy for being successful. And it'd be easy to interpret this parable and say, well, there you have it. God does not like big barns. God likes small barns. So keep your barns small because that's God's favorite. Otherwise, well, there you go. I don't think that's it. I mean, when, when you look at it from this guy's standpoint, he's a farmer. His job is to raise crops. He's had a bumper crop. He's done great. Some of you are business owners or, or that kind of level at your company. You know what this is like. You work really, really hard, and you see some good fruit. Thank, thank God for that, right? The problem is this guy's not thanking God for that. This guy is looking and saying, basically, look at me. Look, at, I, I've, I've got this great crop. I'm, I'm, I'm going to build bigger barns so I can store it. That's just logical. But I don't need to worry anymore. I've got enough saved up for years to come. Let's just sit back eat, drink, be merry, ha enjoy life. You got nothing to worry about. You, you're a self-made man. You're self-sufficient. Look at what, all, you don't got anything to worry about anymore. Life's good. That's easy to fall into, if we're honest. It really is. If, if we work hard, we save, all these kind of things, and we can get to that financial place where Whatever comes up, we can handle. You know, the car needs tires. That might have used to be a very traumatic experience, but now it's okay. We've got savings, right? 
or we've got health insurance, or we've got money to fix the roof when the roof leaks, or whatever it may be, we've got that. Maybe you're in that position. Or maybe you're in an earlier position where it's not so easy, and it is pretty stressful to think about the tires of the roof or whatever it may be. Regardless, for all of us, it is possible, it's possible to get greed, to get money, on the throne. One of the blessings that Jennifer and I had early on in life, or in our married life, was uh, that we, we, we got married at 20 and 21, which is really early, I know. And then a year later, I started seminary at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. We moved there, and Jennifer was a teacher's assistant, and I was a student, so uh, I would occasionally buy a car at an auction, fix it up, and sell it, but that was my income, and hers wasn't huge either. So early 2000s, but still, our total income was like a little under 20 grand a year, which is not much. It wasn't much then either, and it's not really a long-term sustainable thing, but that's, that's what we had. And so for us, we had a very simple life at that point. We, we loved each other, we loved Jesus, and we lived as simple as possible. Our date nights were like McDonald's dollar menu and a red box, and we'd bring it home to watch on our 27-inch big screen at home that one of our relatives had given to us. The fact is, it was just as easy, maybe sometimes more easy, to get money on the throne of our life then. Because we had to think about it a lot. Because it was really tight. And we had to plan really, really well just to make sure we could take care of the bills at, at the end of the month. And, and it was easy for money to be enthroned there, even though we didn't want it to be, even though we didn't really hardly have any. And today, the numbers are bigger, but it's still quite easy to do that. We don't worry about the same things, but it's easy to make that pursuit of more and more, better and better. It's easy to make that such a central thing. And I bet you none of us in this room would call it an idol. But it becomes that, doesn't it? It becomes that when, when that desire to acquire gets greater and greater. We, we're kind of like the kid in Walmart still. It's just... The stuff has gotten quite a bit bigger when you think about it. But the thing is, this desire for self-sufficiency is a big risk for us. Because at its root is pride. It says in the book of James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If if you are just pursuing more and more, if you're pursuing this self-sufficiency above all others, you're doing something that God is opposed to. That God calls us to be humble in, in all aspects of life. And you see, for this guy, he got into trouble simply because his reliance on wealth replaced reliance on God. It's easy to fall in that position. It's easy to believe I'm a self-made man. I don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. I can rely on myself, not on the Lord. Not on the Lord. And you may not say it that way, but it easily happens in our hearts, in our minds. 
You know, there was a man whose name was Charles, and uh, Charles arrived in this country in 1903 uh, via ship. He was immigrating to the United States, and Charles uh, came here. He had $2.50 in his pocket. He had brought his whole life savings with him on the ship, but he gambled a chunk of it away. He would later say in an interview with the New York Times that he landed in America with $2.50 in his pocket and a million dollars worth of hopes and dreams in his heart. He wanted to make it big. He wanted to succeed. And he worked really hard in order to do so. Charles would get up early. He would work the jobs that nobody else wanted to work. He would sleep on the floor from time to time. In fact, sometimes Charles would even cut some corners, bend some laws a little bit to, you know, to get what he wanted. In doing so, one time he ended up in prison, and he didn't want to tell his mom about it. He was embarrassed by this. And so Charles, he uh, wrote his mom a letter, and he told her that he had gotten a new job as a special assistant to the prison warden. (laughs) Room and board included, in fact. (laughs) Charles got a new idea, though. After he got out of prison, he began to sell a type of postal coupon as an investment. And he promised his investors, get this, he promised them that within 90 days, he could give them a 50% increase in their investment. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? 90 days, 50%. Who wouldn't want that kind of math? And so he began to do this. And he began to take in money hand over fist. In fact, in a nine-month period, Charles got over 40,000 people to invest in him. And they invested, in today's terms, the equivalent of $225 million. Wow. Well, eventually it began to unravel. The walls began to collapse around him. He would be caught and sent to prison once again. When he got out after a mere five years, he was facing other charges, and he fled uh, to Brazil, where he would eventually die in poverty and sickness. Yeah, Charles Ponzi thought that he had it all together. And he just wanted more and more and more. And maybe he did it bigger than we tend to do it, Maybe he compromised some things that we look at and say, well, of course, that was wrong, that was evil, because it was. But the fact is, we've got some of those same roots deep down inside of us. How many times have we compromised to continue to increase our standard of living? Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about like, you know, put food on the table kind of money here. We, all, we, we need to provide for the necessities of life. We need a home. We need food. We need transportation. We need health care, these kind of things. This is valuable. But how many times do we work more and more and more to keep up with those dang Joneses, to get just a little more, to take the little nicer vacation than we used to, or the car that's a couple models up from the one that we've got, or whatever it may be that we just... 
and we tell ourselves, this is the one, right? Once I get here, I will have arrived, right? And some of us today, we're at that point where we said we'd be fine if we arrived, and then we arrived, and now we realize we're not sure we're okay with that anymore. And it's just a little bit more than it used to be, and just a little bit more the next time. It easily sets in. And we find ourselves compromising sometimes. We never thought we'd work this much and miss this much time with our family. Or we never thought we would, you know, bend some of those rules a little bit or cheat a little bit here or there because everybody in the industry does it, right? I mean, how can I keep up with my competitors if I don't? Is anybody really honest anymore? I mean, it's just, it's not that big of a deal. Or is anybody really, everybody's cheating on their taxes somehow, right? I mean, like, government's got plenty of money. It's not a big deal. We won't get audited. And we compromise. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. We do things we never thought we'd do, maybe. Or maybe for you, it's just more subtle than that. Maybe it's just that this this greed, this desire to acquire, it just slowly kind of seeps in. And you're not so much doing anything really bad, but if you're honest, you feel pretty self-sufficient. You feel that pride. I did it. I've earned it. I've got it because I work harder, because I'm smarter, because I'm better. Some of that stuff may be true, but I ask you, friends, who gave you those hands that you could work with? Who gave you that mind, that knowledge? Who gave you that time, that health? Maybe some doors were open for you that you'll never even fully understand. Maybe there were some people who helped you out that you've kind of forgotten about along the way. Maybe the Lord was at work in ways that you aren't even consciously aware. When we get into that position of self-sufficiency, God looks at us and he says, you fool." Maybe the Holy Spirit's laying something on your heart right now. Maybe it's a way that that this God of money or greed has taken over. Maybe it's something to confess. Maybe it's something to change. Maybe it's a call to be generous like you've never been generous before. Because let me tell you, generosity dethrones the God of greed. It does. Jennifer and I, we saw this in our lives. Um, I told you about our time in seminary. And we were tithing back then. That means giving God your first 10%. And that was really tough. That couple of grand a year, we had a lot of the things we could have used it on. We weren't really maybe moving the needle on the church budget, but we were certainly moving it at home by giving that. And it reminded us every month that God is our supply, that he's the one we trust in, that he's the only reason we've got breath, life, anything. So of course we want to give back to him. And you know, church, God does that for us today. The The numbers are bigger, but the heart's still the same. And I know that many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
you've, you've done this in your life. You've put God first in your finances and you see how God is blessing. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you for your generosity and for using us as individuals and as a church. So I want to pray here in a moment and pray that God would continue to do that work in our hearts because I believe that when Jesus is on the throne, he changes everything. He changes every aspect of our lives, including finance. So Lord Jesus, would you, would you be on the throne of our lives? Money is just one of the tangible ways we show that. I pray for the person here today who has succeeded in ways that are greater than they ever could have dreamed. Lord, we just pause to give you thanks. Thanks for your blessing. Thanks for the ways that you've opened up doors. And Lord, I pray that that, that person would, would never fall into the lies of self-sufficiency, but instead would remember that you are our source and our supply, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you call us to a lifestyle of humility, graciousness, generosity, never looking down on anybody else, but instead we've been blessed to be a blessing for others. Lord, I pray for the one who's really struggling financially, Lord, maybe at the other end. It seems so hard not to obsess about money because we're just trying to pay the bills, God. Lord, would you be faithful as we are faithful to you? Would you meet our needs? Would you open up creative doors that maybe we wouldn't have seen on our own? Lord, I pray for everybody in the middle, for those who we easily slip into this, this desire to acquire so many things. Help us, Lord, to rely on you. Jesus, forgive us for the times where anything is on the throne of our life other than you. Give us the courage to knock down idols. Give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to live as we've never lived before. Give us the ability by your power, God, to say no to the things that we need to say no to so we can say yes to all the things that you have for us. Lord, we're praying that as a church, we would be known as a place of generosity. Lord, we thank you that there are folks drinking clean water in Africa by the tens of thousands because of this church. We thank you that there are folks in Mount Washington who will have a good meal this week and, and will have the ability to, be, to experience freedom from addiction because of the generosity of this church. We, we thank you that the, that the gospel is being shared in so many countries and right here in Cincinnati because of the generosity of this church. Because you choose to use us. Thank you, God. It's all your work. It's not ours. We just want to participate. We just want to participate in humility. Lord, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for your love and your grace in in our lives that are so much greater than anything we could ever buy. You are so good, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.